Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Saturday, October 28th. Awesome show today. Dan McDowell coming on, breaking down the World Series with us. Game one last night. Going to break it all down with him. Uh, he's a Rangers fan, covers the Rangers, and he's going to break it all down with us. Their matchup against the Diamondbacks. We'll break down game one. We'll break down the rest of the series going forward. Talk some Dallas Cowboys as well, maybe, and uh, maybe even get to some stars. Uh, puck dropped just uh, a couple weeks ago in the NHL. Justin, we're going to start with Thursday Night Football recap, though. Jo- uh, Josh Allen kept the season alive, kept the hopes alive, I should really say, for the Bills. This was a must-win game, if anything else, just for momentum and for their ego going forward into the season. Josh Allen, 31 for 40, 324 yards total, two touchdowns with only one interception, and he had a rushing interception. So I'll leave it to you. What do you think? What was your takeaway of this game? That you know, Josh Allen, a lot of people were saying he did just enough to get the job done. Uh, but still not really the most uh, aesthetic game by the Bills and a lot of things that still need to get uh, cleared up by the team. Yeah, well, it was a sloppy win for the Bills, and it was a good, pretty good performance by Josh Allen, but still, I think he, be- I believe he leads the league with eight interceptions so far this season. Uh, not, not the best game for the Bills, not the best season for Allen so far, but this was a good win by the Bills. They needed this game to really get back on track in the AFC East and potentially in the AFC. Sneaky stat. Allen's touchdown run uh, last night was, or Thursday night, excuse me, was actually the 43rd of his career. That's matching Steve Young for the second most all-time long quarterbacks. Uh, he now also has 199 combined passing and rushing touchdowns, tying Dan Marino for second among quarterbacks in their first season in that category as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, you would think, you know, Josh Allen obviously been in the league a little, a little bit longer, but you would think of someone as like Hurts having more rushing touchdowns. But no, Allen actually uh, definitely a rush-heavy quarterback, as we all know. And, yeah, now ties for second all-time in rushing touchdowns. Uh, Khalil Shakir led the team in receiving yards, six uh, six receptions for 92 yards. And Dalton Kincaid coming into his own with another touchdown as well. Uh, two in the past week, Dalton Kincaid's been playing uh, really, really well for the Bills. Uh, the last couple weeks. Uh, Bill's defense made Baker uncomfortable the entire game. Uh, he led the Bucks attack to less than 200 yards of offense through three quarters and only 302 overall. Uh, Mayford, all due respect, didn't play terrible. Did come back at the end, made it kind of scary for the Bills at the end, but the Bills, of course, were able to come away with the victory. We'll talk to uh, Chuck Pollock on Tuesday, uh, breaking down the Bills more. This was a must, like I said, must win for them. Not really for playoff contention per se, but just as far as ego and uh, national perspective, and uh, you know the national storylines and uh, coverage of the team. And so we'll talk to him, kind of break down how big this game was, and kind of their season that so far and the the season ahead. So Chuck Pollock on Tuesday, awesome interview. We'll break it all down with him. Justin, let's move on to the rest of the NFL week two. Uh, like we always do, closest game, intriguing storyline, shootout, snoozer. We'll we'll give our picks too, but we're gonna start with the closest game of the week. What is your closest game of the week, Justin? My closest game of the week is going to be the Browns and the Seahawks. I think that the Bengals and 49ers could be, but it looks like Brock Purdy is not going to play in that game. Browns and Seahawks, I think it's going to be around a a low-scoring game in the 20s. The Browns' offense, pretty sneaky with P.J. Walker at quarterback, and they have a really good defense as well. I think this could be another trap game for Seattle at home my closest game is vikings and packers packers on a three game losing streak while the vikings won three of their last four games of obviously being that impressive win against the 49ers as well this past monday night the you know veteran qb play is trending up while that first year first year play by jordan love is uh pretty much on the downcline i do think though this is still going to be a close game packers do not want to lose uh, four games in a row, and it's a divisional game as well, so they're going to play very, very hard. Jordan Love started out hot, like I said, be- began the season pretty well, um, but yeah, I just think it's over the last three three games, even four games, he's been really struggling. 
Uh, Cousins does lead the NFL though with four game over the last four games of 300 and plus yards this season and became the fifth quarterback in NFL history with 50 games of plus 300 yards in his first 12 seasons. I do think they're going to struggle with Justin Jefferson being gone though. Addison obviously stepped it up Monday night. We'll see if he can do that again, but uh, I do think the Packers defense is going to get them some get them some trouble. And I think uh, the Vikings. I do. I do. Anticipate the Vikings kind of flaming out here uh, this Sunday. Most intriguing storyline. Justin, what is your most intriguing storyline? My most intriguing storyline is the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's see if the Steelers could really hang with one of the top teams in the AFC, arguably in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Pittsburgh at 4-2. and two, Not the most impressive 4-2, and two, but we're really going to find out more if the Steelers are a real 4-2 and two team, or are they just, you know, a fake team if uh, at home against Jacksonville? My most intriguing storyline is, is the 49ers going to bounce, are the 49ers going to bounce back? Brock Purdy is out for this game, rolled out with a concussion. Uh, Lee, this uh, He is handing the keys off to Sam Darnold. Of course, the team is still without Debo, still without Trent Williams. Uh, like I said, they lost two weeks in a row now against uh, the Browns and the Vikings. Bengals team has been playing a lot better too. So I, you know, I need to see if uh, if Darnold can get it done from his past. It's hard to think he can kind of take this team to where it needs to go. However, he will have the best weapons he's ever had. Um, they need to figure it out fast because, like I said, Joe Burrow and his company—they've been playing really, really well. Um, Jamar Chase has been. Awesome for the Bengals. He's been really explosive. So, Justin, what's your surprise of the week, speaking of that? My surprise upset of the week, I got the Rams. I got the Rams going into Dallas and beating the Cowboys. The Cowboys are on a 10-game home winning streak, but I think that could come to an end this weekend as the Rams coming off two of their last three losses being at home. Yes, they've lost two of the last three at home. McVay and the Rams, it's just, I I think they're going to be much better this week against Dallas, and they're really going to have a lot to play for if they really want to contend for a playoff spot, maybe even contend for the division if the 49ers lose and the Rams win. The Rams are right in the mix, and I think this is a game where, where the Rams could win it here at Dallas. Dallas, not the best. 4-2 4-2 and two team, not a great coached team as well, but I think the Rams can, can surprise them this week. And that Cardinals loss, losing Trayvon Diggs for the season, and then getting blown out by the 49ers and almost losing to the Chargers was a very it's, – it's been a very, you know, tough ride for Dallas since then. I mean, I think they're going to I, – I think the Rams – could win this game. Yeah, speaking like a true uh, Eagles fan there, but we'll, yes. break, we'll break it down with Dan. No, we, we break down a lot a lot of Rangers, like I said, but we will get into the Dallas Cowboys as well for sure with him in our interview coming up in a second. My surprise of the week, um, don't know how much of a surprise this is, uh, Colts over Saints. Saints have been playing very bad recently. Um, they've Derek Carr has not been the person that they thought he was going to be coming in to New Orleans. Chris Olave, Chris Olave, I mean, excuse me, he's under, you know, uh, suspicion right now. He's under allegations right now of reckless driving, there's going to field play. The Saints are pretty weak right now, which is the perfect time for an upset. They are the better team. Colts have been playing pretty good. Gardner Minshew is on fire. He turns the ball over a little bit, but overall he definitely has some high numbers and eye test wise, he's a explosive really really fun quarterback that does get the ball down the field for sure so like i said i don't know how much of an upset this is i think colts as of right now actually might even be a better team than the saints but they sure were not a better team before the season started jonathan taylor he's definitely back in the uh, form he was last year last game 18 carries for 75 yards and a td He'll get even more time upcoming this week, and he'll get more reps and take control of this offense. And, uh, yeah, Colts are going to take over the Saints this weekend. That's my upset. What is your shootout of the week, Justin? Shootout of the week? It's a tough pick this week. There's not a lot of games that you can say, well, I mean, that could be that could be a high-scoring game. But I'll go with the Vikings and the Packers. The Vikings definitely 
have a much better offense. They've bounced back after the 0-3 start, if you will. Not the not a great 0-3 start, but not the worst 0-3 start, I'll say. But the Vikings mm-hmm. and the Packers, I think the Packers will score some points here in the Vikings. I think this is going to be a shootout this game. My shootout of the week, uh, I'm going to take your surprise, Justin, Rams, Cowboys. Different vibes heading into this matchup. Dallas carries momentum from last 20-17 to 17 win over loss, uh, the Chargers, while the Rams fell 24-17 to 17 at home in Pittsburgh. The duo of Cooper Cuff, Puka Nakua, absolutely um, amazing. They've been, you know, they've really have came out and played really well. I mean, Cooper Cuff, I'm not surprised, but Puka Nakua, talked about before in the show and past shows, definitely on track to win Offensive Player of the Year. Like I said, Cowboys defense has been struggling. Rams offense, really good. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think the Cowboys are going to have to really put up some offense to keep up with the offensive explosiveness of the Rams. Cowboys offense has been struggling a little bit of late, but are still looking really good. And CeeDee Lamb, Momentum as well. He's had a lot of momentum for the offense. He's been definitely the key factor in Cowboys offense. He's been the key momentum swinger for this team, for Dallas. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if they can get it done this uh, this coming Sunday. What is your snoozer of the week, Justin? Snoozer of the week, I think you could go with both primetime games, but I'll take the Sunday night game with the Bears and Chargers. Not, not going to be an aesthetically pleasing game for both teams. It's just the Chargers. Same thing like we saw with them and the Cowboys. Very badly coached team. They are not a well-coached team. They have the talent. I mean, they're they're really a coach away. And the Bears, obviously, two and five, you know, Trevor uh or Trevor Baggett with the quarterback as the Baggett as the quarterback. It's gonna be it's it's gonna be a very it, for a Sunday night game. It should not be the Sunday night game, as we've alluded to before. How do you think he's gonna handle the bright lights pageant? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, he he hasn't played under the lights before in the NFL. I mean, we all know at this point, D two quarterback was used to playing in crowds not much different than you know big high school. So it, this is gonna be definitely a test for him. He uh, he might. He might be starstruck a little bit. Might have, might be a deer in the headlights. But hey, he surprised us last Sunday. Maybe he'll get it done again. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. My snoozer of the week. I'm going to go with Jets and Giants. The Battle of New York most likely will be a snooze fest. Wilson has been playing pretty well. Both offenses for the uh, for the teams for the New York teams have been looking pretty bad lately. Uh, Giants, of course, have been looking really bad. And Taylor, though, for the Giants. I think uh, I'm excited to see how he how he plays. He played pretty well uh, last weekend, and I want to see if he can continue his momentum going forward. The Giants' defense is getting a spark as well. Rookie defensive back Deontay Banks is looking as like he may be a stud in the spur of the defense uh, out of their rut and be you know kind of the game wrecker that the Giants need on that side of the ball. They are allowing just three touchdowns combined over the last two games. Jets have obviously a stout defense as well. Um, they're going to really tender Giants <laughs> offensive attack and I just think it's going to be a struggle of backup quarterbacks against really good defenses long story short and I uh it's going to be a sloppy game definitely a sloppy snoozer of a game though as well Justin what is your favorite of the week let's get into our favorites of the week favorite of the week I got the Chiefs over the Broncos the Broncos season is basically over they could just have a fire sale at the trade deadline the Chiefs continuing their winning ways even at 6-1, and one, even with the wide receiving core not being the best and, you know, playing better than average, obviously, with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. You can't count those two guys out when they're the together as the head coach and quarterback uh, tandem there in Kansas City, obviously. But the Chiefs, I think they beat the Broncos very handily. My favorite of the week, Houston over Carolina. Intriguing storyline, too. Battle of number one QB overall and battle uh, of number two overall QB as well. Big difference between those two players. CJ Stroud has been playing at an elite level, while Bryce Young has obviously been struggling under the Panthers' offense. The Texans have been the sneaky good team all all year, really. I mean, CJ Stroud coming to his own, like I just said, setting records and taking command of this offense. Nico Collins, Tank Dell, all proven to be dangerous weapons for Stroud to rely on. Defense, 
really looking pretty good for the Texans too. Young defense of Will Anderson, Derek Stingley, both offensive side, of, offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball are changing the narrative for the Texans and their uh, their program. Coach D'Amico Ryans has also been doing a really good job. All the opposite can be said about Carolina, though. Bryce Young has needed the playbook to be simplified for him. You know, aside from the reemergence of Adam Thielen, there are no viable options really on offense. Miles Sanders is looking like he maybe uh, he maybe shouldn't have left Philly. I mean, Miles Sanders is definitely struggling in. Uh, the Panthers offense. The defense looks awful in almost every single game, every single snap. Frank Reich looks like he can't figure it out. He's on the hot seat with the Panthers as well, especially after this year. They only come away with like, you know, five wins or so. For me, easy pick to go with the Texans. Much more momentum going to this game. Carolina, like I said, looks terrible. Texans on the way up. Let's go to our writer's block. Justin, we'll start with you. What is your writer's block of the week? My writer's block of the week is the way The Athletic is putting the article of the Giants and Jets, which New York team is in better shape heading into the battle of MetLife. It's interesting, but who cares? I mean, both teams are combined 5-8. and eight. Both teams are going to be having their backup quarterback start. I mean, it's an interesting game. Yeah, both defenses are playing pretty well. I mean, but after the Giants beat Washington, I I wouldn't say this is that interesting of a game. It's like the Giants are are this team that's, you know, gonna come back to life all of a sudden after starting one and five and, you know, having an injured quarterback too. And the Jets having I mean the Jets have had some impressive wins against the Bills, against the Eagles almost beating Kansas City, almost beating New England. Jets could be a 5-1 and one team, even with the injury to Aaron Rodgers and the not, and the mediocre play on the offensive line. So I, I, I think this is based, that, that story was basically who cares. I mean, I know it's both the Jets and Giants writer co-writing the story, but this was not front page news by The Athletic. My writer's block is I saw a, uh, actually on, uh, this would have been Thursday, I saw an article on ESPN saying that the NBA is investigating uh, if 76ers and the James Harden, uh, James Harden violated the NBA's participation policy. Basically, this, this coming year, actually, uh, the NBA and Adam Silver enacted a new policy that pretty much made players, especially star players, play in uh, primetime games specifically. Fine could be up to $100,000 for this first offense. I think we actually even talked about this, Justin, uh, when this story first came out about the NBA enacting these two, uh, you know, these these new uh, roles about player player participation. I think the first fine is like 100000 If it happens again, it's going to be two fifty, And then I think after that, it's like every other occurrence after that could be upwards of like, a million dollars or something. It's like, it's ridiculous fine to what they, what they are. You might be asking, I mean, what are they investigating? He wasn't there. So what's there really to investigate? Well, the policy does outline that a player is able to miss a game due to injury. Of course, a lot of gray area in this, in this story, in this uh, kind of instance, he wasn't injured, but he basically the Sixers said that, um, they didn't want him to travel to Milwaukee in Milwaukee or Toronto in their game coming up because uh, he's out of shape. <laughs> and so not really injured, but he's out of shape because he refused to play in the preseason. And it's a, it's a weird situation. We'll kind of see what happens. Um, virtually did skip out on the game on his own accord. But the Sixers, of course, trying to avoid that hefty fine, trying to spin it as if, uh, no, he wanted to come. But uh, he just wasn't physically able to play due to his uh yeah not really being in shape so they don't get fined justin let's move on to our interview dan mcdowell awesome interview going to talk the rangers going to talk dallas cowboys maybe even some stars getting into some stars hockey as well of course the rangers most importantly to last night game one of the world series we'll break that down and then we're going to break down just the um series in general going forward so without further ado let's head to dallas and talk to dan Okay, we now bring on Dan McDowell, host of the Dumb Zone podcast. Dan, Rangers, Diamondbacks in the World Series. Last night was a thriller. 11 innings. Garcia, home run to finish off the game and send 
the Rangers with a game one victory heading into tonight. Let's talk about that game and let's talk about the series then going forward. How crucial was this game one victory for the Rangers given uh, giving Gallon pitched and obviously getting that big, big momentum boost going into the rest of the series? Uh, I guess probably getting, getting by Gallon is the best thing. But um, otherwise, I don't believe in momentum in a series. I do not believe that is uh, a real thing that exists. And I think when somebody says, oh, it's a crucial game one, I don't believe in any of that. I believe they could have lost last night, and their odds would be slightly worse. But their odds are slightly better now, uh, I guess, since they won. But it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I wanted Philly. Like, I know that's come under, uh, I don't know if you know that, like, so, uh, what's his name? Nate Silver uh, put out a tweet that this was a, a bad World Series. Uh, they should contract the playoffs because of, you know, just too, you know, obviously with these two teams, um, you know, there shouldn't be so many teams in the playoffs type thing. And so a lot of the uh, local media here, Ranger, put on their Ranger cape and their, uh, their costume, and, and they went out and uh, flew in to save the day to, to, uh, to attack Nate Silver for daring to question the validity of this World Series. Uh, but I got to agree with Nate Silver, you know, uh, in a sense. I don't know. It would have been so fun that Bryce Harper and Philly and Dallas versus Philly and all that kind of, and the uh, Eagles game is next weekend. So that would have been kind of like right there while I, perhaps while we're getting ready for a game six or seven. So that could have been so awesome. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still the world series. It's still awesome. Uh, but it's, it's kind of weird. It's a weird vibe here because everybody's like just now getting into the Rangers, even though they've been real good all year, it hasn't been like a slow build to get good. They all of a sudden got good and it's kind of surprised everybody. Yeah. So it sounds like despite the Rangers making the world series, you actually are one of those, you're, you're in the camp of let's not have a wild card series. I'm in the camp of I, those 162 games should mean something. And it's, uh, and I know, I guess Tampa Bay got, you know, they're, their home games and they lost them. Um, but you know, it's, it's just so baseball is such a long season and so many random things can happen during that season. So the Rangers have like a historically bad bullpen, certainly historically bad for any good team. Like it's amazing. They have a less than 50% safe percentage. So half the time when they throw out a guy in a save situation, they don't convert. Um, yet, you know, during a long season, there will be times when their bullpen holds everything down for 10 games in a row. And there'll be times when 10, 11 games in a row, they don't hold the, you know, it's back and forth. They just happen to get this 10 games in a row now. So, you know, Hey, they've still got a really good team, but in the end, to call either the Rangers or the Diamondbacks the best team in baseball that year is going to be a weird uh, a weird feeling. But I think Rangers fans in the end will take it. They say it all the time, though. It doesn't really – I mean, that's why baseball kind of frustrates me personally is because it doesn't matter how you do in the regular season. If you get hot in the playoffs, that's all it really takes sometimes. And I think that's why a lot of people don't like the wild card series is because it, lo- it allows these teams that do have a weaker bullpen to really make a run and beat teams that – should have made it farther, you know, at least past the divisional series. So, I mean, look at the Diamondbacks, too. Diamondbacks, you know, in the wild card, they beat out the Brewers, which a lot of people were saying the Brewers were actually going to – had a potential to go to the World Series this year. And they're also a team that has a pretty – you know, not a bad bullpen, but definitely a young bullpen. Yeah, exact same thing for the Diamondbacks. But the the local fan bases are into it. So, I don't know. It's, it's funny because – some people want to root for ratings, you know, and are, they don't want to see their World Series. Uh, it's going to be one of the lowest rated World Series in, in history, and it, and it probably will. Um, but it doesn't diminish. What has been cool is just to see, you know, like someone like Adolis Garcia. I love that. I don't know how you feel about the, the pimping home runs and the, 
you know, the flashiness. I, I, I think it's, I think it's awesome. I, I, I think him getting hit by a pitch after pimping a home run is also, also awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you're going to do it, you just might, you know, get there, uh, get, get them a little bit upset, but, uh, you know, if you know what I'm referring to the, in the, the Astros game where he hit a home run, like in the sixth inning, he comes up in the eighth, the Astros are down two and they, they beat him and cause a bench clearing, uh, thing and, and he gets tossed and, and all that kind of stuff. And the Astros still came back and won. Um, but I, I, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's great, great theater. And then of course, last night was a very, very cool way to uh, start things. So it sounds like the fans really weren't high on the tech, on the, on the Rangers until really the playoffs started and they, they got on this, uh, this win streak here and it, you know, this good win streak they had. Um, it's hard to, you know, throw all fans under that, but, uh, this fan, I will say, was kind of like that. Uh, the Rangers did it oddly. You'll have to tell me how the Phillies did it, if you uh, you probably know pretty well. But the Rangers were a bad team, and then they... So the blueprint for getting good seems to be you strip everything down, you uh, get the payroll as low as you can, you lose a bunch of games... You get good draft picks. You get good young players. You let them develop a little bit. And then you add a key free agent or two. And then you make a big trade or two. And that then you then you go, go all in. The Rangers, uh, a couple years ago, uh, just decided to, even though we're really bad, we're going to money whip some free agents. So we're going to do it in that order. We're going to get free agents first. And then... We're going to, well, I, I I don't know that they plan to develop players, but they are bringing up young players now that are complementing those big money free agents, and it that I think that threw everybody off. Like, man, this this is not how it's going. So you know, Simeon and Seeger were here when they were terrible last year. They didn't get added to this, so it it seemed really odd that that. They get these huge money free agents. They spend hundreds of millions of dollars, but they're terrible. And then they kind of added around it. They spent a, another big, you know, boatload of money this off season on pitching, which uh, a lot of that turned out to be injured. Um, but then also added, you know, uh, Scherzer at the trade deadline this year, proving that they'll spend money, which. Everybody around here has yelled about for years. We're in a top five or six market, yet they spend down in the fifteen to twenty range. Um, but you know, it's it's a cool story. It's probably great for the MLBPA. They like this story way better than they like the hey, strip everything down, don't pay anybody everything, anything, and then and build it that way. You mentioned kind of how the the Rangers have been a little bit streaky here. Uh, Regular season didn't play terrible. I think they have the identical record for the Astros actually going into the postseason. Um, are fans concerned about the streakiness though? Are they concerned that this hitting prowess that they have going on might flame out eventually? Because the Diamondbacks have been pretty consistent. I mean, they've been pretty consistent all season long, and then especially going to the playoffs. So, are the fans kind of concerned that this, you know, get, going into Game Two here, that this uh, hitting prowess and uh, especially the, you know the luck that they've had in pitching might flame out going deep into the series. I would say the second part more, the, the pitching is, is, is really the big concern. And it's, it's, it's the one that surprises me and surprises everybody, especially the bullpen being so bad. I mean, think about it. When Jose Leclerc comes into the game, are you really nervous? Are you like, oh my gosh, that's an intimidating uh, guy. He's this little guy who just kind of comes out there and does his thing. And he's been inconsistent throughout the year. Their whole bullpen has. And uh, it's, it's just a weird feeling. Um, it's kind of like we're waiting, waiting. Can they, can they keep this luck going for uh, one more week? That's all they need is one more week of, of unbelievably excellent bullpen pitching, which they've had throughout the playoffs. I just thought they were always middle of the pack the past, you know, before they signed Simeon and Seager, they did not 
spend to their market size. But this year, uh, they're right up there, aren't they? Yeah, four, four. Yeah, uh, fourth right now. You know, Mets obviously first, Yankees second, Padres third. <laughs> no surprise. Ra- yeah, Rangers actually. That's I didn't actually know the Rangers were such high spenders. I know obviously they, they just paid Swarzer and a lot of other names that you just said as well. But yeah, I mean they're even above the Phillies, above the Dodgers. That's I yeah, because like you said, uh, Dan, I always thought the Rangers were one of the lower spending teams in the league. But that kind of goes to my next question. I mean, how vital is this World Series? Um, I mean, they've already made it to the World Series. They've already blown away expectations this season, I would say. What, um, how vital is it to kind of even win this World Series? Because success begets more success. So, and, and you can make an argument if they win this, it's going to continue. The, you know, they're going to continue to spend money, and that's what the fans ultimately want to see. Well, I think even just getting here, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, because no. yeah. it's it's like finally the Rangers are a. a it's a strange ownership group that I'm not really even like, we don't know who they are. And in Dallas, that's a weird thing because you got Jerry Jones over here. You got Mark Cuban over here. They're very visible. They're always available. They're, you know, ready to spend money at all times. The Rangers guys have been kind of in the background. Um, Their owner, I don't think I ever saw him until they fired John Daniels last year in the middle of the season. And, uh, and, just handed all the all the baseball operation stuff over to uh, Chris Young, former Ranger pitcher. Um, but uh, you know now they're very you know now you saw them accepting a uh, American League championship trophy after a game, and uh, yeah, it just proves that spending money actually works. Uh, it doesn't always. And that's something in the past we've learned. Um, who was it that the Rangers signed one year? Chanho Park. So they went through this about 20 years ago. They they signed Alex Rodriguez. Uh, they ended up signing Chanho Park. And then they said, man, we just can't spend anymore. And Chanho Park did not pan out. And then they said, well, we're done spending. Well, the Yankees, when they spend a ton of money on a free agent, it doesn't pan out. Well, then they go get another big giant free agent or make another trade for a guy who makes a ton. Uh, so it's good to see that these Rangers are are spending to their market size. And it is good to see that, uh, you know, that we're seeing that spending money works because uh, we're very pro labor. Right. We want uh, we want the we want the workers to make uh, their fair share. You seem like very objective, Dan, like a very objective fan. Um, what do you? What's your prediction for this World Series before heading on to the Cowboys? Um. Well, now that they have Game One and they have momentum, I see uh, a quick no. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, it doesn't mean anything. I'll say probably the Rangers will win this World Series. They are actually now favored for the first time in a series. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, all playoff long. Um, but the bullpen could explode. Um, so it's a very tepid, like, uh, yeah, I think they'll probably win, but I'm not going to, you know, put any of my own money on it or anything like that. I'd love to see him win. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, I love that we're, you know, I love Adolis Garcia. I think everybody loves Adolis Garcia right now. I would have loved to see. I did. I don't know. The Philly versus Ranger thing is making me sad. I would have loved to see that, no matter who wins, just because Dallas hates Philadelphia. It's a fun, fun rivalry. But I love Philly versus Dallas, man. It's awesome. What are the fans thinking? Because a lot of the times with Dallas, they start the season off pretty hot. I mean, the last couple of seasons, they they start the season off really, really hot, and then they always seem to kind of flame out a little bit, especially going into the playoffs. So are fans fearful this is going to happen again? What are fans thinking, like, you know, is is the expectation still the whole win it all this year, Super Bowl? Is that still the expectations for the Cowboys? You say, are they fearful? They are well aware that it's probably going to happen. That is that That's the way uh, things are uh, written up here. And I don't know if it's every fan base, but the Cowboys fan base certainly has a uh, a conspiracy theory bent that somehow, uh, here's the way it goes. The league office doesn't want the Cowboys in the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl, they're going to do great ratings anyway. 
But they want the Cowboys just to be good throughout the year. So they'll get great ratings. And then they they, they instruct their refs to uh, kind of stick it to the Cowboys throughout the playoffs so that we can get them out of here. We don't need their ratings now. Uh, what are you going to do? Just add a couple more people? Uh, it's already going to break records, the, the NFL playoffs. Um, and I think that's silly, of course. I it It's really weird how they seem to build up such a good regular season team year after year. In fact, if you look in the past 20 years, they've got, I think it's New England, and I can't remember if Philly's there, but the Cowboys are right there in the top four or five records in the regular season in the past couple decades, like since they last were in the Super Bowl. Yet, they have won very few playoff games, and they haven't even been to the NFC Championship game. So they haven't even been in the Final Four. And I would imagine Philly fans really love that that stat about the Cowboys. Are fans losing patience with Dak Prescott? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a certain sect of the fan base that just will say, well, there's every every time he doesn't make a play, they say, well, fourth round quarterback. Never forget, fourth round quarterback. Um, and it's the same probably as they say for a lot of guys, unless you're Mahomes, is that he just needs all these awesome weapons around him and then possibly. Um, but I think the difference now, if there is optimism, uh, starts with the guy Micah Parsons, because it feels like the Cowboys now are not reliant upon being able to just win a shootout. Uh, they actually have a really good defense, and they've got a game wrecker in Micah Parsons, who Philly gives a lot of trouble. Uh, they've they've really combated him well over the past couple of years. They kind of run plays directly at him, um, which is very odd, but it seems to work. Um, but But he's the guy that I think if the Cowboys can go farther, he will be the reason. Like, he he is the best player on the team. And you never say that about just almost any team. It's always going to be the quarterback. But you saw last year, Dak Prescott got hurt for, uh, what, was it four games? And they went three and one with a guy no one's ever heard of. So, um, you know, Micah Parsons has to be, if he's the best player on the field, more often than not, the Cowboys will win the game because the Cowboys offense will just have to score, you know, uh, maybe 17 and you'll win because that's how good the defense can be when Micah Parsons is at the, the peak of Micah Parsons. Yeah, 1995, last time they went to the conference uh, conference championship. I mean, our fans, yeah, I know it's it, oh, close. I mean, I think we said 28, 29 years. Yeah, that's, that's what it, it's going on three decades now. So. Um, are fans upset with Jerry Jones? I mean, how do fans feel Jerry Jones is handling the team? I mean, he can't, I don't think he can do much more. He puts pieces around him. Dak Prescott, I think, is still, you know, definitely above average quarterback. He, like I said, he does put offensive pieces around him. The defense has been really good. He's been doing a good job. I mean, do fans kind of express that as well? I mean, they're, they're happy with how he's been running the team. Well, I think there's like a demographic breakdown on if fans like their, uh, Jerry Jones or not. The older the fan, the less they like Jerry Jones. Um, because they do remember, you know, Jerry Jones buying the team back in, uh, it was 88 or 89, 89, I believe. Um, but they don't give him credit for any of that. That's all Jimmy Johnson. Cause he hired Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson ran the show. Jerry has always called himself the GM, but make no mistake about it. The Herschel Walker trade was made by Jimmy Johnson. Everything on that team was made by Jimmy Johnson. And fans of that era are still very bitter about the Jimmy Jerry breakup and the fact that Jerry is the one who stayed <laughs> uh, because you could see how things have turned out since then. They did win one more Super Bowl uh, two years later after he was uh, mutually fired, let go, he left, whatever. But um, that was definitely Jimmy's team. And, you know, so that's. That's the way that goes. Um, around the early 2000s is when Jerry realized uh, 
<clears throat> he needed a new stadium, and they had three straight five and eleven seasons, and that's when he hired Bill Parcells, and actually. That is the guy who has had the most power besides Jimmy Johnson in their Cowboy uh, coaching tenure because Jerry wants last say and full control. Now, he still had last say, but Parcells would spar with him. Parcells would fight for what he wanted. And uh, that was Parcells, you know, brought the Cowboys back out of obscurity where they were on their way to. Um, But. You know, it was even the Jimmy influence, Jimmy being, or excuse me, the Jerry being in the locker room, Jerry being on the sideline, all that kind of stuff, wore too hard on Parcells, and that caused him to leave. And since then, he's had nothing close to a coach with uh, Jimmy Johnson or Parcells' uh, personality about, you know, making sure things are done the way they want it to do. Uh who was the first one? It was um, Wade uh, Wade Phillips was the head coach who was just – it was very funny in that era because uh, they'd have – let's say a player got in trouble. Pac-Man Jones got in trouble. And uh, Wade Phillips would have a press conference and say something about it, like what the team was going to do. Then Jerry would have a press conference and say what the team was going to do. And it would be totally opposite. And they would end up doing what Jerry did. And then so it got to a point where Wade Phillips during his press conferences would say, well, let's just wait and see what Jerry says. And he didn't seem to be upset about it. He was very jovial. He was happy. He was a head coach. and He was making a lot of money. Uh, Jason Garrett was very similar in that he was just a guy uh, that was kind of there. And I think that's proved, even though he had a pretty good regular season record, the fact that Jason Garrett was a 10-year uh, tenured head coach and couldn't get another head coaching job after he uh, got fired, I think says a lot. He took an offensive coordinator job. But take a look across the NFL history. Anyone who has coached that long is then established as a head coach. You don't then become an offensive coordinator. Uh, And then Mike McCarthy. I just think it's the exact same setup um, every year. Jerry talks about Mike McCarthy as to as as in, you know, after the year, he's he never really gives him a full, full vote of confidence saying, you know, well, we got Dan Quinn here if Mike McCarthy falters. So it's a very weird dynamic. But Jerry is uh, clearly in charge. But Jerry is by a by a large set of the younger fan base. He is beloved by all players. He's beloved. Everyone loves Jerry Jones. He's fun. He sticks up for his players. Remember when Zeke got suspended, all he would do is talk about the fact that the NFL screwed him. He would not say, you know, hey, maybe you should act a little differently. He does. He defends his players to the end. I would love Jerry Jones to be my boss because he he keeps going to bat for you. He's not making. He is officially making the final decisions. But he's not, uh, you know, he's not sitting there scouring the waiver wire. He's not, you know, he's not doing what a GM usually does. He's not living, uh, you know, 24-7, just trying to improve the team. He does a lot of PR. He's, uh, you know, promoting a, a, a big fight coming up at the stadium. He's at a ribbon-cutting ceremony in Las Vegas. He's doing this and that. Um, uh, I'm having trouble remembering their personnel guy now. Uh, the real guy behind the scenes, but uh, but other other people are 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 kind of doing the GM stuff for him, uh, but he does make the final call. So Dan, obviously, if three teams make the playoff wild card, still have a chance to win the division. Of course, Eagles playing really well. Obviously, though, they play I would say three easy games rest on the left on their schedule. I mean, they play Rams this week. Rams have been playing pretty well, though. Then they do play the Eagles, like we said, and then Giants and Panthers. But after the Giants and Panthers, they play the Commanders twice, Eagles again, obviously, the Seahawks, Bills, Dolphins, and Lions. Very tough schedule uh, coming down the stretch here for the Cowboys. Yeah, who would have thought the Lions would be a tough, a tough draw? Well, that's my kind of my that's my point coming, uh, you know, here, Dan. Is NFC has been kind of playing a lot better. NFC South.
if they don't make the playoffs at all? It could happen. I doubt it. That would be devastating. Yeah. That would be – well, Mike McCarthy's absolutely fired. Dan Quinn is promoted to head coach. Uh, we'll start with that. But Jerry is – you know, he's over 80 years old. He doesn't want to make more changes. He didn't want to make the, the Jason Garrett change. Uh, Jerry's desperate to prove that he can win it all without Jimmy Johnson because no one gives him credit for that one Super Bowl they won without him. So, um, yeah, that that would be that would be crushing to the cop because I think it's thought that all right they're getting to the playoffs. In fact, it's the the thought is if they don't get to the NFC Championship game, that's probably it for Mike McCarthy. Just to the because they've made the playoffs and they've run into San Francisco two years in a row and they kind of don't look like the same team once they play San Francisco. I don't think confidence was real high a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you watch that Sunday, uh, San Francisco, the uh, 42 to 10 loss. Um, although, interestingly enough, they've lost two in a row since that, since I thought nobody would ever beat uh, the 49ers again. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, to, to circle it back, I guess, it would be devastating. It would be horrible. It's not even – I don't even think it's thought of as a uh, a possibility as this the season wears on, not making the playoffs at all. I don't either. I mean, I it, it can happen, though. Like I said, their, their yeah. schedule is tough. Going, I mean, they have to beat Washington twice. Very hard to beat a team twice, especially a frisky team that's, you know, really – that does come out and play really hard in Washington. I mean, they have to beat the Eagles twice. That's going to be – obviously extremely hard to do. Rams have been playing a lot better. I mean, it can definitely happen. The NFC in general has just been playing pretty good. Lions, awesome. Uh, Vikings have been playing better too, but we'll see it, how it goes, how it, how it happens here down the stretch. I do want to get into the uh, Stars a little bit, just briefly. Made the conference uh, finals last year, the Stars. Obviously lost it out to the you know Vegas Golden Knights who ended up winning the whole thing. What are the expectations for the Stars uh, heading into this season? Are they thinking of running it back? Do they is the expectation to go even past the conference finals this year and make the Stanley Cup? What is the what are the fans saying about the Stars and their excitement uh, with this season just starting here uh, last week, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, number one, I say the hockey season starts way too early, mm-hmm. but I don't know what to do about that. Um, <laughs> I, I felt like during COVID, we had an opportunity as a, a nation. All these sports leagues that were put on hold and then had to scramble to get their seasons going, they had an opportunity to change the sports schedule, and we could have made, made it make sense. Because it does not make sense to have hockey, basketball, the NFL, college football, all, all going at the same time. Like, it's just too, too much. Baseball shouldn't have that wide swath of uh, territory to their own. I really liked it when the NBA started on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a cool thing. I thought that could have been become a cool tradition. From what I've heard, people in the NBA did not like that because that t- took away their summer. And by people in the NBA, I mean the people that are really in charge, which is the players. You know, the one league where the players are actually in charge. Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, so I think that that could have alleviated, you know, hockey probably can't go through the summer. That wouldn't feel right, you know, because yeah. the ice would melt and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it'd be hard to have the outdoor games. Uh, but I still think hockey should start a little bit later. Yeah. Expectations for the Stars. It felt kind of Rangers this last year where, boy, they're really good. Whoa, what happened? How did they get this good? Um, they've They've – They've built a nice team. They've built uh, Jim Nill has built some nice young talent coming up uh, to complement Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan, who are getting on the other side of thirty. Um, so it's interesting. The stars are always number four in this town. You know, they're always fighting for attention. They've got a really small but really rabid fan base. Um, so it's it's hard to judge what what they want. They're, they're, they're pretty behind the stars no matter what, but, uh, uh, I, I I don't know what to expect. I don't know what people, uh, you know, expect in the long run. 
but it's it's cool that they're good. It's it's good that you know all four teams seem to be pretty good right now. Yeah, hockey's hard to predict in general, uh, really, and that that's also how it is for a lot of fan bases too, especially cities like Dallas, Philly that have four that have the major four sports teams. Hockey usually does tend to be the lower of the you know the lower the fourth, but the fan base is rabid. I mean. Any any town you go to, I mean, the hockey fan base is kind of its own little niche, and they're very passionate fans, and that's why I respect hockey. That's why I like hockey. Another, but a little bit more predictable of, of a league, actually much more predictable, you can argue the most predictable out of all four of the major sports, NBA. How do the Mavs feel this season? Uh, what are you thinking about the Mavs? How, how, how do the fans feel about the Mavs? What is their expectations going into this year? Missed the playoffs last year. Um, obviously have really star-studded talent on that team with Doncic and Irving. So what are the fans thinking about the Mavericks and how far they can go this year? Man, what a question mark they are. Mm-hmm. Who I, I could not have predicted that. Like um, like I said, how I think the Dallas fan base right now or the Cowboy fan base would be – it's not even like on the prediction table to miss the playoffs. So when the the uh, Mavs made the Kyrie trade last year, you know they were comfortably in the middle of the pack, fourth or fifth seed, something like that, and they end up missing the playoffs altogether. That was the no one had that at all. Mm-hmm. Like well, if it doesn't work out that great, they certainly okay. The, uh, the worst case might have been they'd be a, a play in team, and they don't even make the playoffs. Now, they helped themselves with that by tanking the last uh, couple of games, I believe. They sat Luka, um, much to the chagrin of many Mavs fans, uh, especially because the NBA is becoming less predictable. Which I love. You know, it used to be that if, if you win a title, mm-hmm. you'll probably win another one for sure. Um, I used to always say the NBA was the hardest title to win because that's the most popular thing for hockey fans <laughs> to say at the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs. This is the hardest title to win. Well, the NBA was because if you get good, you stay good. So, you know, Jordan would win every year. Well, you know, once you get uh, to the top, you just kind of win every year. Well, player movement has actually, player empowerment, player movement has created a bit more parity in the league now to where you can pick four or five teams, maybe more. Yeah. Like how many years in a row did you say it'll be the Cavs and Warriors in the finals? Yep. And you were right. Like, in the preseason, you already knew who was going to be in the finals. So who's going to be in the finals this year? It's hard. Like, do you know? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. you can make arguments for a lot of different teams. And Mavs fans would say you can make arguments that the Mavs could. Uh, they made some, you know, I thought it was a very curious hire when they brought on Jason Kidd and Nico Harrison, their general manager. Uh, Nico had never been a general manager before. And um, so I'm originally from Cleveland. So I was following the early LeBron career very closely. And they hired Danny Ferry, a first-time GM, to be the GM when LeBron was a young player. Well, he didn't know what he was doing. He learned on the job, but that didn't, you know, that's not what you needed to build a team that would complement LeBron. Uh, And Nico Harrison, I think, at first was, Hey, I just got to make some some big moves. Uh, I'm going to bring in Christian Wood. I'm going to, you know, and and Christian Wood, J- uh, Jason Kidd wouldn't play him last year. Um, so this year, this offseason, they've kind of focused more on what needs to be around Luka. Uh, you know, they need defensive presence. They need a rim runner. They got Derek Lively in the draft. They need. They just need guys who are role players, and they focused a bit more on that. So we're hoping that will, you know, the first couple games have been a good indication, but uh, hoping hopefully that will, you know, propel the Mavs to at least getting in the playoffs. Um, you know, Luca and Kyrie. That's a strange deal too. Uh, Kyrie, as you know, is just a strange deal on his own. Um, what, you know. Will he play nice all year? Will he be suspended at some point? Will he go to his sister's birthday party and not go to a key game against the Lakers? You know, I you don't know what Kyrie is going to do. He didn't want to be traded here. Um, you know, you saw what he did last year with the Nets. He 
demanded to trade when they were the hottest team in the NBA and looking like they were going to be a finals contender. So he demands a trade. Well, that domino caused, you know, Kevin Durant to say, well, then I want out of here too. And so now the Nets are no longer the Nets that they, you know, were for a few years. I did want to ask about how do you, how do the fans feel about Irving? I mean, he's great talent, but does have a lot of drama and locker room issues. So how, especially after last year, what do the fans think about Irving? Do they want him to stay? Are they kind of sick of him? Like what, what's the uh, sentiment with the fans around him? No, he's beloved right now. And he's been great with the media, which is not his MO in the, uh, in the past. I know he was not good with local media at all. He would always, you know, change his demeanor once, you know, an ESPN guy walked in the room. All of a sudden, he's talking to teammates and messing around. He had, he had a very bad reputation. You've seen him, you know, they say he's blown up, you know, a couple locker rooms previously. But last year, he came here and was just pretty much awesome. You know, his performance, his play, uh, he's unbelievable when you watch him play. So it, it's it's clear that he's, you know, unless he's out there with Luca, he's the most talented guy on the floor usually. Um, but so far, so far, so good. But there are those of us who did follow those Cavs teams very closely that are waiting, that are that are hoping that perhaps Luca is just, or excuse me, Kyrie has just uh, matured and realizes he made a bunch of mistakes in the past and let's give him the benefit of the doubt and see if he can, that, that he will be a different guy, but, uh, and you know, yeah. for, for now, let's, let's just enjoy what we see out there. So it sounds like from what you were saying earlier, and Dan, this is, you know, we, this has been our last question. This has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. It sounds like from what you're saying, you expect a big jump with the Mavs this year. Yes. I mean, a big jump would be making the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I would hope they're not as low as a play in team. Uh, the problem is, like I said, player, uh, player movement, look across the league. There's a lot of teams that could, you know, the West is strong. There's a lot of good teams. Um, so, you know, if the Mavs do make the playoffs, now who's going not going to make the playoffs? You know, possibly the Lakers. Possibly, you know, I, I can't see the Suns not making the playoffs, but who knows? Yeah, it's definitely a tough uh – Definitely a tougher division or conference than the Eastern Conference has been for for a long time now. But yeah, Dan, we'll see what happens. And I'm I'm excited to follow the Mavs. I'm excited to see how the Stars do this year too. And then of course, uh, I'm rooting for the Rangers. I am rooting for the Rangers. They beat out the Phillies. Uh, the, the Diamondbacks beat out the Phillies. So I'm definitely rooting for the Rangers. To get some payback on that. And then uh, hopefully we can see the Cowboys uh, in the in the playoffs at some point. If not, you know, regular season obviously we'll see them. But hopefully in the playoffs we can see them the Cowboys as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next Sunday for sure. Definitely in Philly. So I, I wonder if that's going to, you know, if you believe in the look ahead game, you know, this, the, the Rams game could be a trap because you're definitely worried about Philly. Overlook happens a lot. Every team, not just the Cowboys happens to every team. All right, Dan. Well, this has been awesome. Like I said, we'll definitely be in touch. I'd love to do this again sometime. Okay. Okay, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Bye. Okay. Let's finish the show with our off the map and long hauls of the week. Justin, what is your off the map of the week? My off-the-map of the week is A.J. Brown. He is on a collision course for making history, leaving the Eagles and other NFL receiving records in awe. I think A.J. Brown Brown has 809 receiving yards this season, more than the Tennessee Titans, his former team, that only has 789 receiving yards combined. The Titans letting letting him walk, basically trading him, to the Eagles, that was not a good move by the Titans, and that GM is fired. Now the Eagles getting Kevin Byard this week as well, making another addition from the Titans and another defensive addition. A.J. Brown, uh, back to A.J. Brown, It's I think it's time to start considering A.J. Brown as the NFL's best wide receiver, possibly better than Tyreek Hill, <clears throat> possibly – even better than Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown might just be a top three receiver, possibly the best receiver in the league, and I think we should also consider him for NFL MVP this season as well. Offensive, yeah. I mean, he's definitely on there. Maybe he doesn't get as much recognition because the offense for the Eagles, well, maybe not so much this year so far, but at least last year the offense was so good that maybe, you know, maybe names like Jefferson – 
and Chase get more recognition because they don't have as much of an explosive offense. So they they might get more credit to really carrying that offense and being uh, the main contributor for it. And you know what I mean? So that might just be why he gets kind of put on the radar a little bit. But I agree it's not not really fair to A.J. Brown. I mean, he's definitely contributes at a high level and puts up uh, crazy numbers like you just said, uh, Justin. So, yeah, I mean, I think A.J. Brown is, should definitely be considered at, at least in the conversation for one of the offensive players of the year. My off the map, uh, after their Bulls opener, they had a dialogue and hard conversation, uh, an internal uh, meeting, basically, an internal team meeting where Vukovic, um, DeRozan, Levine, they all came together and basically said that they're not happy and they're heading in the wrong direction. Very bad luck for a team to have an internal meeting the day after their first game of the season. Uh, the Bulls team for a long time has been struggling with meteorocracy and their decision to stick with their core might be costly instead of uh, blowing it up. We talked about it with Mike Berman uh, earlier in the week. I mean, the Bulls are just kind of in that no man's land, that purgatory zone. You know, they can't, they're not going to be good enough to go far, especially in the East. Not, not, you know, not the Bucks, not the Celtics, Sixers, Cavs. And they're not bad enough to get those valuable draft picks. So, yeah, super bad luck for, for the Bulls. Eternal meeting after their first loss of, of the season. Justin, what is your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is the Michigan scandal, obviously involving Jim Harbaugh. Now it's going to the FBI and the university police. What the heck is that going to happen for Michigan? Now the former offensive coordinator is under investigation, Matt Weiss. So, I I mean, what is the FBI going to do here? What is the university police going to do here? It turns out, Weiss was suspended and fired by Michigan in January after the investigation was launched by the University of Michigan Police. The alleged computer access crimes committed by Weiss occurred from December 21st to 23rd in the team's football facilities. Days before Michigan departed for their college football playoff matchup against TCU. And for Michigan, I mean... Just take away their bowl game. Just, you know, come down with a punishment already, NCAA. And, you know, Harbaugh, basically, if you want to go back to the NFL right now, just resign. You're not going to play in a bowl game this year with the way things are going in this investigation. So I'm tired of hearing about it. Just come down with the punishments and leave it alone right now. Yeah, no, it's... um. This looks bad. I mean, it can it can get pretty bad. I don't know how. I mean, we don't know how willing or, um, I should say how uh, how bad the punishment's going to really be, how uh, detrimental it's going to be. I mean, we don't know if it's going to be as bad as uh, you know taking away titles or t- you know taking away bowl victories. We don't really know what's going to happen, but it, it's one of those stories that seems to be getting worse and worse. Um, you know, as we go along here. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to just kind of see how this all breaks down. Uh, I know we talked about it on last week's show. I mean, this is I mean, this is going to push him out of the NCAA for sure. And most likely he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a coach in the NFL next year. My long haul of the week, uh, Victor Wimanyama. Uh, people were kind of freaking out about his foul troubles in his first season opener uh this past uh this past wednesday picked up an early five fouls really limited his production in the first three quarters uh struggling to score side you know two threes in the first three quarters of the game he really didn't come alive until the fourth quarter with nine points to finish with to finish with a total of you know 15 such a small sample size it's one game people need to calm down it's not you know he's he's gonna figure it out he's gonna get his footing we talked about it on last show you know, with John Reinigle, he's he's still, you know, getting his feet, but he's still getting comfortable being on an NBA court. Talent, much faster talent, much stronger. And uh, he's going to get his foul, foul troubles under control, and, you know, he'll be just fine, fine going down the stretch. Okay, Justin, we'll do this again on Tuesday. Good show. Uh, Chuck Pollock, he's going to be on the show. Kind of break down the Bills. 
uh, their season. So we'll do all that with him and a uh, great interview. And until then, we'll see you Tuesday and keep on traveling.